Hi, guys. Welcome to the Sure Split. My name is Will. We got Brian with us today. What's up, heretics? And you guys know what we do here. We help you escape your church's echo chamber, learn to think biblically, and of course, challenge the status quo, which always needs challenging. And do not forget to like and subscribe to the channel. Support us on Patreon if you wish. Uh, that way we can keep getting new and fresh content for you guys. Uh, we recently started pumping out uh, YouTube shorts, which has been a great new thing that we're able to do. And that's a lot of it's because of what you guys give. We're able to do that. So anyway, um, but before we get into much more of the episode, I did just want to quickly let you all know we have a special friend with us today. He is a friend of ours that we actually developed a few years ago through our time during the RFP network. And Brian and I quickly uh, eventually connected with him and became really good friends. And so his name is Dan, and he is with us today. He is a military veteran, and he's got a crazy story, and we wanted to have him on for a while. So we're excited for today's episode. Uh, so how you doing, Dan? Can I talk now? Yeah, yes, you can talk now. Like I said, how are you doing? <laughs> Will told me was not allowed to talk in the intro, so. <laughs> I said, yeah, the intro, the intro's over. Uh. Okay, okay. I'm good. Nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank oh, you for imposing nice. your rules on me. You're very welcome. I, I am something of an authoritarian myself. I'm on your show. You come on my show, these rules don't exist. It's just free for all. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so, Dan, um, can you tell the audience a little bit about you, about your background, who you are? Uh, because oh, I think one of the things that is interesting about you is one that you have a similar background to many people that has have been on our show, but also you kind of went a different direction. So I think it'd be good for us to tell us a little bit about your history. Okay. Um, started off... Uh, back when I was six months old. Uh, my parents were invited to go to a IFB church, Fundamental Independent Baptist, FIB, IFB, whatever you want the acronym to be. It's all over the place now, Fundamental Independent Baptist. Um, my parents were invited to go to a church. I was only six months old, didn't really have a say-so, so grew up there, went to church at the school there, um, met a lot of good people, people that I know now. Um, it wasn't anything different for me for how I grew up at the time, but now looking back, every ounce of my being just wonders how could people not look at that as, man, that is a cult. Um, give y'all kind of an example. Um, when I was 12 years old, I had, we had chocolate sales all the time so we went to a store and i don't know if y'all remember the little quarter machines outside the stores where you would put in like two quarters oh, yeah. push it in when you pull it back out you get a little like pamphlet thing that had a sticker inside yeah absolutely i had one of those well i actually had a, two or three of those of uh britney spears back when britney spears was just coming out all that stuff and I had some of those and my parents saw that in my room, took those to the pastor because, you know, you got to take everything to the man of God and the FIB. When he took them to the pastor, I got called in. They said it was porn. I got suspended from school, got in major, major trouble over just having stickers of Britney Spears. Uh, 
I was just a boy. I thought she was a good looking girl. My bad. <laughs> but that's kind of the same aspect. That's to kind of give you an idea of where their heads were. Since then, there's been a lot of other stuff that's come out of sexual abuse in that church. Um, a lot of stuff has been proven in courts. There's people in jail today, multiple people in jail today from that church that were very close to me growing up. And it's just the nature of who they were and how the church brought them up. So that was kind of my upbringing, if you will. A lot of other stuff happened. Uh, got accused of rape <laughs> and I didn't do anything. But what actually was happening was there were adults that were doing stuff. And I walked in on some of it happening. And their way of making me stay quiet was, oh, well, Dan raped some random girl. Well, I wasn't Dan at the time, but... <laughs> Um, but yeah, got accused of rape, had to go down to the police station, plead my case, all that, take a lie detector at the age of 16. <laughs> so, wow. uh, that was, that was a lot. Uh, home life wasn't exactly the best. Uh, always went to school with black eyes. No one ever asked questions. No one ever, you know, walk into school with two black eyes and a puffed up face. No one's going to ask any questions. Nowadays, everyone, you know, they jump on the bandwagon in heartbeat. I uh, specifically remember there was one birthday party where CPS came to our front door. And it was my sister's birthday party. CPS came to the front door and my dad literally chased them off the front porch with his gun. <laughs> Whoa. So, uh, yeah. When... When I got old enough, I graduated and then to get away from that life, I joined the military. I uh, joined the military, tried to uh, put some meat on my bones, try to, you know, give myself the skills I needed to fight back <laughs> and come to find out the world was not, I was not equipped to handle the world. <laughs> I was not equipped to handle temptation. I wasn't equipped to, you know, you get free of the rules of legalism and all that stuff. And the first thing you do is, well, what was I missing? Yeah. So I did it. All of the things, you name it, I did. I did them. <laughs> um, joined the military and joining the military, I went overseas and then I started deployment hopping. Uh, if there's any veterans listening that y'all know exactly what deployment hopping means. Um, for those of you who don't, it's when you come off of one deployment and the oncoming unit generally had slots at the time because, you know, the war on terror, Iraq, Afghanistan, the incoming unit would have open slots that they needed someone to fill. Well, coming off deployment, I didn't have anything else to come back to, live for, anything that you, anything that resembled a life worth coming back to. Mm. So... I would just jump on with the next unit, stay in country. So all in all, I have multiple tours overseas and combat. I've seen combat multiple times, been blown up. <laughs> um, got metal in my knee. 
<laughs> Dan pretty casually, good. Dan's like, I blew, I've been blown up. Casually laughs. Like, <laughs> I got, well, I laugh because uh, I have metal in my knee and metal in my back. So inclement weather hurts. I hurt like on a constant basis. Every now and then it's hard for me to like get up and move around. And when me and my wife first got together, <laughs> met her in the military, that was different story altogether but yeah um but i would tell her you know she's like oh are you okay i've been blown up <laughs> so now it's like a going joke in my household that oh what's the matter with you you've been blown up is that what you're gonna say <laughs> so, that's why so you I just use the same excuse all the time is what you're saying <laughs> oh yeah dude if you've been you blown, get blown up, up yeah. You get blown up. You use the same excuse too. Darn straight. I mean, I use it for everything, especially if someone's like, oh, dude, are you okay? Didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I'm like, shut up, dude. I've been blown up. You think your words are going to, like, get out of here. Leave. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of want to, I, I want to be blown up just for the bragging rights, but, you know, there's that. So back to, you know, you t said tell the people a little bit about myself. That gives you a brief overview of, like, kind of how I grew up why i left leaving the other thing that i'm going to mention because we're on the church split we're not just on some random podcast or random show um when i left i had been so in my mind mistreated and hurt by the church religion god you name it you know anyone who's been in that boat knows what i'm talking about where you're just mad at everything. You want all of it to go away. It's all crap. It's all lies. You know, how can they treat people this way and think of themselves as good people? All that stuff. You know, the legalism, everything mixed together makes a perfect storm. So when I left and joined the military, I ran. I wanted to do away with everything religious, wanted to do away with God, wanted to do away with myself. Talking about this, uh, I say I ran away from God at all point in time. I always knew that God existed. There was never a doubt in my mind that there was a God. Um, it wasn't because of how I was taught, but it was, in all honesty, it was, I, I feel like I'm a, you know, of decent intelligence. I'm not the smartest tool in the shed, but I dang sure ain't blunt. Um, <laughs> With that being said, when I ran, I didn't, I thought I ran from God and I didn't really run from God. I ran from religion. So in the military, one thing cool about the military is all religions are represented. So on your dog tags, you get to put something on your dog tags of what religion you prefer. Um, I had none for a long time. I didn't want someone to come do last rites on my body as a Catholic or as a Jew or nothing wrong with any of that. I'm just saying I didn't want that for me. Um, but the chaplains that are in the military and the, you get times where you get to go to those services and they will make it available for you to go to whatever service they're having. So I went to Protestant, I went to Lutheran, I went to Catholic, Jew. I went to all of these different uh, religions and all of them 
you know, we talk about God and all that. But at no point in time did I feel the same, like, legalism, if you will, of Baptist. Then they had a Southern Baptist one come in, and he wasn't that, he wasn't so bad. Uh, Along with him not being so bad, it was different. It was, okay, this is kind of what I'm used to, but it's also not. Um... So it opened my eyes and got me started asking questions about, well, if these people believe this, why doesn't everyone? And that kind of opened my eyes to, okay, I wasn't mad at God. I was mad at religion. So it really started on, I was broken. I'm just out there doing doing my best, but I'm broken. Don't know really what to believe. I know the basis, God is real, and I'm probably going to die and burn in hell because I'm a horrible person. <laughs> I trust Jesus, but uh, I mean, let's be real here. I've done a lot of bad stuff. So even though I know it's not works-based salvation, the one thing that legalism teaches you is, no, it's, you know, it's all grace, but don't wear pants, women, and <laughs> don't listen to bad music. And you know, there's all these other stipulations. So you kind of start wondering, is it really works? <laughs> well, well, their sermons will also kind of point to it, right? Where they're like, well, if you do this, 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 are you really a Christian? Like, you should really start wondering right. about your salvation. So you, it, that kind of gets ingrained. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so running from religion all this time, I tried to go back home for a little bit and I actually tried going back to the church, reconciling with my family. And, you know, I was just always looked at as uh, I was the problem child. I was the black sheep. Well, you know, at that time I had, I'd been married once in the military, divorced. I had a kid, you know, that I don't see, but all this stuff, like I'm that guy in the church now. So I try to get back on the right track. Okay, I'm, you know, went down, walked the aisle, rededicate my life, all that stuff. Let me teach people about Christ. Oh no, we can't do that. We can't have you doing that. Mm-hmm. Okay, why not? <laughs> oh, well, you know, this person over here is going to do that. So that kind of spiraled me all over again. I'm like, okay, so I'm, I'm not good enough. Because you're not squeaky clean enough, right? So exactly. God, God can't use people with uh, bruised backgrounds. He can only use the shiny, perfect people. <laughs> right. You know, kind of like that uh, series that went up. <laughs> exactly. Although Brian can never get shiny, happy people. I correct. cannot remember the name of that show to say. You always life. call it happy, shiny people. It's shiny, happy people. I, I kind of like happy, shiny people better. <laughs> Don't encourage them, Dan. Think about I can't it. Which one's if if you got to shiny people walking around, they're happy. That, I would much rather watch that than watch <laughs> the drama that unfolds. In that. <laughs> but yeah, but, it, it, yes. Anyway, sorry. Go. <clears throat> With that being said, um, I kind of walked away from it all. Outside of my family treating my wife like crap, you know, because at that time. 
you know, I'd met my wife, married her. She tried going to the church. <laughs> She's like, no, I'm not doing this. This is all kinds of wrong. And she grew up Southern Baptist with her family and all that. So she understood religion. She understood church. She walked into the front doors of mine and was like, no, this isn't church. <laughs> Different level of crazy. <laughs> exactly. So with my family, they started just treating her like crap over and over again. She would give small little, uh, you know, hey, because we're both military, we had to go away with the military at one point. So we had my parents watch the kids. My parents watching the kids uh, were like, hey, they're literally six months old. Here's their formula. They got sensitive stomach. Make sure that they're only eating their formula, you know, because it's medicated formula. We get pictures back of them eating mac and or mashed potatoes from Kentucky Fried Chicken. Like different levels of livid, <laughs> but that just goes to like that's how much respect they had for her wishes like it didn't matter what she said so it all that all boiled up came to a head i left i'm still spiraling still not sure where to land on this thing and going down the route of okay well i couldn't kill myself in war i got a family you know i got a decent life insurance policy I can just kind of veer off sideways a little bit. My family's taken care of and I don't have to deal with any of these feelings anymore because we all hate feelings. You push them way down. Don't ever let them out. <laughs> but um, I got a random text from a friend of mine, uh, Daniel Wynn. I'm forever grateful to this guy. Random text just saying, hey man, been thinking about you. Have you heard of the RFP? I'm like, the heck is RFP? I don't know what that is. So he put me in touch with the Recovering Fundamentalist group. And I kind of listened to some of what they were saying, reached out to uh, one of the guys on there, made good friends with him. And we talked long hours, <laughs> uh, met up with each other a couple of times and come find out you guys had come and joined and then i met you guys and started asking y'all a bunch of questions and i'm like hey you're like me and i'm like you but y'all aren't jaded like me how <laughs> so there, there was a lot of that you just know me post my jaded phase <laughs> and i'm I, I used very to thankful be a for that hardcore edgelord in that area I, I yeah anyway keep going i was just an instigator and jaded and angry all the time but we're past that many years past anyway keep going oh i didn't meet spider-man 2 will <laughs> <laughs> i think you think thinking spider-man 3 actually so probably you're the nerd i threw spider-man out i knew you'd correct me and, yeah of course he's playing he's playing marvel he's over there he's over here playing 4d chess is what he's doing <laughs> leave me alone spider-man yeah basically Anyways. yeah so the RFP kind of gave me some good uh, founding, like some good uh, principles to start like building back the foundation. Like I always had a foundation, but it was crumbly as hell. <laughs> so um, the RFP kind of helped me with that. You guys helped me a lot with that. So I started piecing that together. Um, and then, you know, 
love those guys to death, but kind of started down my own path of picking up books, reading stuff, asking y'all, picking y'all's brains on stuff, disagreeing with y'all. That happened a lot. <laughs> um, but it went back to rebuilding my own faith. Lo and behold, after all this happens, I get a pastor here who I had never heard about. He's not a big name guy, but my aunt on my wife's side introduced us. And this guy kind of made me rethink what pastors should be. Um, I travel a lot for work. Part of that, this pastor, every single time that I tell him I'm going out of town, while I'm gone, there'll be a couple of text messages just reaching out him or his wife just reaching out to my wife hey you need anything we'll drop by we'll you know do whatever you know we never take them up on that but it's small stuff like that going back to the whole the way church should be you know you come together as a community and that changed all of the perspective from what i grew up in and what i thought church was to what church really is and then talking to y'all talking to you know, other friends that I have just seeing that church is about the gathering, you know, come together, you know, have like-minded beliefs and actually talk about it and then bear each other's burdens. I, I say this all the time uh, in multiple groups that I'm part of. I was like, imagine, right? Bearing each other's burdens. Who'd have thought? <laughs> yeah. The ultimate well, secret sauce that nobody thinks about, even though we're told directly to do it. <laughs> One, you know, but I probably talked a lot longer than y'all wanted me to, but that's basically oh. my story in a nutshell. Well, that was great. And I think, you know, part of it, we, we mentioned this several times that church is supposed to be helping you bear your burdens, not creating them. And I think some of the stories from your past childhood, growing up into getting into the military, they were creating burdens for you. They're accusing you of rape because they want to um, make it so you can't make an accusation against someone. They're saying that a stamp that has Britney Spears on it is pornography. You know, you're, you're getting burdens created against you instead of them burying them. And I think that's some of the thing with, with your friend Daniel. And when you discovered the RFP was this idea that you get, there's actually a place that you could actually talk about Christianity. You could actually ask questions, not get your hand slapped um, and start building back so you had deconstructed a bit, you had walked away, but like you said, not completely, but you were looking for that opportunity to, to build back. And I think that's sounds like that's what RP and, and some of that network and, you know, when our, our discussions kind of helped build that foundation, I think that's where some of your passion is now is making sure that other people can get pulled back out of that same despair, that same loneliness, hopelessness, not feeling like you have a place to go, a belonging. Cool. Well, like you kind of said, like you got into reading books and kind of doing your own research. And one of the things that sticks out to me in that area is the fact that you finally were you finally were pointed in a direction to go where you could go deeper and you could actually start wrestling with stuff because before you weren't allowed to, which is also why you probably were exploring these other. You said you went to different Protestant churches like Lutherans and stuff. You went to like different like Jewish uh, religious gatherings. You went to different religious gatherings because there is there was an you could say an innate search within you looking for truth. You wanted the truth. 
you just didn't know where to go or where to look for it. So you just were looking and trying to find somewhere to connect in that area. Uh, would you say that's probably accurate? Absolutely. Um, going with what I, what I said and what y'all were saying, one of the main things that I see now looking back, um, when you fresh break away, when you freshly break away, when you freshly leave that, um, it's a scary time. Uh, you, everything that you've known and all the close knit friends that you have, you know, stepping away, they're immediately going to shun you. They will, because that's what you were taught. So stepping out, it's number one, a scary thing, but number two, they don't equip you to study. They don't equip you to ask the questions. They don't equip you with how to think. So <clears throat> we talk about this all the time, the three of us, a lot of people know what to think, but they don't understand how or why. So one thing that I kind of latched on to you guys as friends is y'all would constantly ask the hows and the whys. Um, in the military, a lot of what I did was don't ask direct questions, which growing up, that's all you ever got was the direct questions, the yes or no answers. Um, in the military, if you want people to talk to you and actually give you useful information, you have to ask interrogative questions, the who, what, where, when, why, how. And a lot of that isn't taught to you coming out um, of the IFB. They don't want you to ask those questions. They want you to do what the quote unquote man of God says. If you don't do what he says, or if you think he's wrong, you're wrong and you need to re-examine yourself and probably your salvation. And that's what they teach. So it kind of just stifles, you know, and really smashes down, making you not want to ever ask those questions. So when you do leave, when you do finally like, all right, I'm done, I'm out. The first thing you're doing is looking around. Unfortunately, the louder people are the atheist crowd. And so a lot of atheists are, you know, hey, you know why you have those doubts? Because God doesn't exist. And they start hitting them with all these arguments, apologetics, and they don't know how to counter that. They know what they were always taught, but they don't know how to frame that in a way to counter the argument. They don't know how to do a proper apologetic. Well, a lot of it's because the, a lot of the, like the TikTok atheism and these people that you're going to encounter that are loud online, your Reddit forum atheists, uh, a lot of these people are former like t fundamentalist types, not necessarily IFB, but whatever, any other kind of fundamentalist group. Yeah, charismatic or like the Pentecostal holiness or any like maybe possibly a Lutheran types, like depending what what how they were raised and which groups and what well, people so, call charismatic. I say charismatic, not as the religion type, but as the people type. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, okay. I see what you're saying. <laughs> yes. Yes. Having they're charismatic as people. Right. And so but a lot of these like TikTok atheists and Reddit forum atheists they were raised in that like really strict paradigm and so they have a really weird view of how the word of god what that means uh christy burke is a big tiktoker and she her stuff like if you listen to her reasons for going against the bible she clearly has a very wooden view of how inspiration of scripture is supposed to work instead of having a more orthodox understanding or more historical view she doesn't have those and 
so when you have these kids who are vulnerable or these people who are vulnerable from falling out of the fundamentalist crowd and they haven't really been equipped to handle other theological views, they only have this fundamentalist view. And then an atheist comes with arguments that clearly destroy the fundamentalist view. What the fundamentalist, the ex-fundamentalist kid does is it just goes, oh, I guess all Christianity must be wrong because he equates his hyper-fundamentalist views with uh, uh, he equates that fundamentalist scripture, uh, fundamentalist view, sorry, with Christianity. That's what I'm trying to say. And so then he leaves Christianity without exploring what these other things could have been. And he listens to that TikTok atheist and he latches onto their interpretations and just says it's all bunk and becomes a loud, obnoxious internet atheist who unfortunately is not usually open to correction anymore because then it means that to eat crow twice because. That's the other thing people don't understand is it's hard already to break away from one upbringing because you're so committed to that. But once you become the loud atheist, you have just recommitted yourself to another level of intensity. And then to try to shift them out of that will take as much work, if not more work, because now they have to, they'd have to eat crow twice. That makes it a lot harder psychologically for someone to give that up. Uh, so anyway, that's just my random tangent there. Apologies. Well, Dan, how did, you know, with some of the things that Will was saying, how did you prevent yourself from going down the, I guess, TikTok probably didn't exist yet, but the new atheist route where someone makes some good argument, you're like, oh, I guess God doesn't exist. Was it moral objectivity that you were able to witness in the military with fighting against evil? Was it some of the, you know, religious services that you were attending was it some of the upbringing you had you were still latching on to? How did you prevent that from being a full deconstruction in India? Um, and no, they didn't have Tic Tac or whatever <laughs> back then. And could you imagine a MySpace atheist? I mean... <laughs> it doesn't get cringier than that. How do, how do you get in the top eight trends there? <laughs> I just showed everyone my age group. Anyways. <laughs> I'm with you there. No, going with... <laughs> hey man, mine twinkled and everything. Oh wow. Um to answer your question though, um what kind of kept me grounded to understand that there was a God? Um war. The the short answer, war. Um so you, in my upbringing, you're treated bad coming up. You go to war and you think, okay, well it can't be worse than how I grew up. You know, I feared a lot of stuff then. It couldn't be worse, right? Then you get in your first firefight. Uh, your first firefight, people talk about that fight or flight response, that thing's real. <laughs> um, I can recall my first firefight ever, I froze. Um, I would love to be on camera saying, no, I, I got up there and I was John Rambo. I took care of business. I didn't. I, I froze up. Um, I almost got shot. And my sergeant tackled me, like, punched me and said, get your head in the game or else you won't have a head. So the fight or flight response is a real thing. After that, I I pulled my head out of my fifth point of contact. You know what I'm saying? But um, once that happened, um you see these guys over there and they believe so wholeheartedly in their uh, religion 
and we were taught their culture we were taught their religion um and they believe so wholeheartedly and you gotta think if they're willing to do that for theirs and they're committing all these atrocities over there it's me or them so then the fight back portion you know I, as much as i say i wanted to die i didn't i wasn't going to go out easy um i've always made the comment and it still holds true this day if if i ever kick the bucket like that it will make national news <laughs> um so i fought back and the fight back was okay well if, if i want to go out i'm going to take as many of them with me as i can you start going over there and you see all kinds of different stuff you know war's not all cut and dry like we see in the movies and a lot of the newer movies kind of they put a play on it and a lot of that stuff is actually kind of close nowadays but back in you know watching the patriot you know the patriot is not what war is no it's a great no movie point. though it was rest in peace anyways <laughs> um but war movies like that war movies you know band of brothers you know stuff like that though some of that stuff is real black hawk down like that one hit it pretty close on the head and then you get more toward the actual war type stuff going on and seeing it on a screen is different than witnessing it in person when you witness it in person and you you know the first time that you have a six or seven year old little kid walk up to you with a bomb strapped to their chest and you have to make a decision me or them that's when it really gets hard to have that moral argument and that moral stability to know i know god is real <laughs> because you see stuff like that i guess the only reason that i held to it was because i believe that if that kind of evil can exist there's got to be an offset so i don't know what kind of theology you want to call that i know moral argument i know what the moral argument is but I also know that when you look at like true downright evil, when you look that, look at that, you have to know somewhere deep inside that there's got to, if you feel that strongly that that's evil, there has to be something good that's making you feel that way. Like there's something higher than just the good and evil on the on the earth of going back and forth what kind of place so i guess that's what kind of routed that makes sense i mean i think because i've said you and i've talked about this many times in the past because one of our first conversations you kind of talked about how you went to war kind of hoping you'd die but you wanted to go down swinging essentially and uh <laughs> like i, I want to go out but i want to go out like a man kind of idea and uh so and the, but you ha you were asking a lot of questions and one of the things that you and i both talked about because i experienced really intense abuse as a child and i've seen it in my home and i've seen it on other kids and i you know all that stuff that we my family has dealt with and gone through 
And same, and then you not only experienced that, but then went to war and saw like how nasty war can be. So once you saw that, you kind of, I say regularly, like that is you, like what happens when you start kind of staring at the abyss, you kind of have to come out with something like there's, it either can tear you apart and then turn you like into a nihilist where nothing matters. And you just go, well, it's all just messed up, I guess, but we live in an, in a cold and indifferent universe, or you can actually look at it for really what it is and go, no, that is evil. And there is real evil in the world. And Evil exists. And you know what? If their evil exists, somebody must say it's evil. And that's got to be something that's not us. That's got to be above us because we all agree or that it's evil. Right. So uh, and that's where I think a little bit of that comes in where and I think that's also can help you with growth once you kind of confront that where you realize that if there is evil, then there must be good. And if there is, if this is what evil looks like, I want to be good. And, you know, right. that's, yeah, I, yeah you, you know what I'm you saying? Look it kind of helps you grow. You look for the magnetic needle on the compass, on the moral compass. So part of seeing evil, it, it goes kind of the way you said. If you've ever had a compass, you've had a compass that it's got the free-floating needle in the middle that points you what direction north is, right? Some compasses, that needle will fall off. That's what we call kind of what you just said, the nihilist, the guys who, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, that guy's going to wander around aimlessly. What I would challenge everyone to do is find your magnetic needle. All right. Figure out what you're going to make your needle. Is your needle going to be your own personal beliefs? Well, that thing's going to spin around faster than a, you know, clock that's broken. Or is that magnetic needle going to be based on something that, is truth you know something that not hey what's what's true for me is true for you it's got to be the same all right so scripture the one thing that most religions go back to that has to be where truth derives so when you make that your man magnet excuse me the magnetic needle then you got a good bearing on what your moral compass can be that doesn't mean that you you've arrived you're still traveling but you've got to figure out what your magnet magnetic needle is well and then the other question is is what even it who put the magnetic needle there right so you got to start asking like where does that needle even come from like i know it's there i feel it there well i could like you said if we can you just keep with the analogy i could just make the magnetic needle fall off and just ignore that it exists or i could put the needle back on where it belongs and follow it properly. And if you base it on scripture, you got to ask the question, where'd it come from? <laughs> right, exactly. Or even if, yeah, I mean, I, that's why I say even because in Jeremiah and other places talks about like in Romans one talks about the law written on our hearts. And when mm -hmm. we have the law written on our hearts, well, then that's something external that's imprinted right upon us. That's something that's not from us that's imprinted upon us. So that's where that's, that's the C.S. Lewis argument, right? The crooked line. How do I know the line is crooked if I don't know what a straight line is? It's the same concept. So one of the things that always stuck out to me with our, your, our conversations regarding war and the, the barbarism that you really experienced and witnessed in it was how you were just like, I've now actually seen what evil is. 
I stared at it in the face. And that's what kind of kills me sometimes about the insulated American experience where people want to have this like subjective moralism all the time. And I'm like, you live in this little insulated world in the 21st century in Western America. You have no idea. And that's why you're able to actually think this, this poorly on this topic, because you go to some other country and you'll start seeing very quickly that your insulated American experience and your thoughts on how things should run doesn't actually follow. Brian, you were nodding. I don't want to keep taking over the, the, the Jeff yeah. thoughts here. Well, now I, I was going to use the, the, the line comment. You, you took that. That's a great point from C.S. Lewis. And we've mentioned that several times on the channel. But, you know, I think about the kid with the bomb strapped onto him. And I think when you see something like that and you go, well, that's objectively evil to use an innocent child as a pawn of war, to either use them as essentially a kamikaze weapon to inflict maximal damage and also to create a moral conundrum for self-defense of the army that you're trying to attack. I mean, it's, it is evil. It is evil. And I think once you kind of, I think, like you said, in our Western mindset and our comfy lifestyle, we don't necessarily get to see those stark distinctions between good and evil. We see these morally gray arguments about things that probably don't matter that much, like maybe what color the church should be painted or what kind of clothing the women should be wearing in church. And I think it, it we, we get away from the good and evil comments and we just we're in this weird gray area that we're really struggling to actually identify what truth is. And when we actually do evil, like real evil in our society, half the time we do it behind closed doors. Yeah. So it, it like, it, we're not as upfront about it. Right. We're not as abrasive with it. So like, I think about um, like abortion, right? So if we're talking about abortion for we, we put that in a back room somewhere in an, in an insulated room. People have their gloves gloves on. It's all very clean and sanitized and nobody sees the dispatch of the baby. Right. But it's, it's amazing to me how many times if you show somebody what happens afterwards, they're like mortified, don't want to see it. And it's because like, yeah, you in our insulated American experience do not want to look at what true barbaric evil is. You want to avoid it. You want to pretend it doesn't exist, but it does exist. And it's a real thing. And I think that's one of the powerful parts about your story. Well, one of the other things is a lot of people will downplay their own evils. You know, we, we hear all the time about all this stuff happening in these churches of, you know, <clears throat> well, this person did an evil thing to this girl or this boy or whatever. And we hear that and we're like, oh, man, that's really evil. By what standard is it evil? Because when you start talking about evil and what standard it's evil, love your neighbor as yourself. How many of us got mad at going down the highway? And, you know, we call it not evil, but, you know, getting mad to the point where you actually have the thoughts of running people off the road, pulling out your gun and shooting them. You have all these thoughts pass through your mind. And just because... I didn't do it. I'm a good person. You know, that's the whole point behind Jesus' story of if you thought it, you did it. <laughs> and we don't want to address that because we realize just kind of like you said, the evil that happens behind closed doors. You know, most sins, when they finally come out, 
what's the first thing that happens on every crime drama that you see? Oh, he was such a nice person. Yeah, never saw coming. <laughs> right, exactly. It all right. happens behind closed doors. So you have to address the evil in yourself. You know, we talk about staring down the abyss. You know, you've got to come away with something. But I never said that someone sent the seven-year-old out there. There are seven-year-olds who will strap a bomb to their own chest and walk up to you with a gun trying to shoot at you. That happens in wartime. How do you rectify that? And then when you get so upset in wartime of your comrade dying next to you, you get upset, you want payback, that right there. What do you do at that point? So there's a whole lot of, <laughs> there's a whole lot of area that's not talked about with regard to evil. Yeah. How do you rectify that? That's a great point. We talked about, sorry, Brian, go ahead. I was going to say, we, we've mentioned this several times, especially even recent episodes about how your theology, your doctrine has to comport with reality. And I think Dan, your kind of your experience and what you, what you saw in wartime, I think really puts a fine point on it because you're, you're seeing such a, a stark example of, like you said, what do you do with a seven-year-old that puts, a bomb on their chest and a handgun in their hand and try to kill people because they're on the other side. And I think that, that I think helps kind of sharpen the doctrine. If your view of scripture, your view of God doesn't account for, for some of these things, you might have wrong theology. You might have wrong doctrine, wrong outlook on life. And it sounds like, you know, some of the stuff that you were taught in the IFB created some of that wrong outlook. And I think maybe some of that wartime experience kind of helped reshaping some of your doctrine at least gave you the opportunity to to start rebuilding it into something that comported with reality well yeah one of the major things that i see in most of my conversations with veterans is the same thing that i struggled with is if i squeeze that trigger i've killed people bible says thou shalt not kill right King James Version, New King James, it don't matter what version says, don't kill people. If you killed people, be it war or not, how does that rectify? How does it rectify with killing in the Bible and all that stuff? The answer I was legitimately given by an IFB pastor was, well, wartime's different. Right, but how does... How does that explain the Bible verse? Well, you know, God wanted you to protect yourself. I'm like, dude, you're just making stuff up now. Then I believe it was you, Will. <laughs> I asked you that question, and it was one of the like, it was one of the first like true meetings we've had with each other where I asked you the question, just I'm filling you out. What do you got to say to me? And you were like give me a second and I'll get right back with you. And you took about, I want to say two or three hours and explained the difference of terminology, uh, the languages used, the difference of words used when it's talking about killing and what types of killing there were in the Bible and what all that, like you did an in-depth and exhaustive, and I'm just some random dude on the internet that was like, hey man, what do you think about this? So, um, <laughs> To me, those kind of interactions, one that shows 
where we need to be as Christians. We we need to be helpful to the people. Not don't just brush their questions aside. Engage their questions. If you don't know the answer, point them and point them to someone who does. Um, and for far too often, if we don't know the answer, far too often we just brush that off as, well, uh, Bible says so. Where? And they, they want to, oh, all you ever ask is scripture and verse. I don't just want to know the scripture and verse. I want to know the context. I want to know everything about it. If I'm asking you a question, let's let's dig a little bit. Let's figure out what it actually says. So you can twist and any I appreciate verse. that. Yeah, you could twist any verse to make it sound like what you want. So, and I remember when you asked me that because I was like, I, I was like, if memory serves, there's a difference in the Hebrew term for kill here like thou shalt not kill meaning to murder in cold blood versus various ways of killing uh, like self-defense or wartime and they had different kind of terminology for it and i was like but before i you know open my mouth and insert my foot and end up being a dummy i'm gonna go double check and this is actually a really important bit that i learned uh over time while doing apologetics which is it's okay just to be an answer finder. You don't have to be the answer guy who knows everything, but you can be the guy who knows where to find the answers to help people get the answers that they're looking for. And I wanted to make sure I referenced some of my Old Testament uh, wartime books. I have some books on that. And just make sure that I'm double checking because I wanted to give you a proper answer than something flip it. Plus, I've learned something when I'm dealing with uh, intense military veterans who have seen combat and all that. They want it straight, they want it direct, they want it efficient, and they don't want you to sit there and blow smoke. And I know that about them because I've been friends with enough of them to know the fact that I'm like, if I blow smoke, they will know, and they will just be like, you are dead to me because you clearly don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and, uh, so, and I mean, that was a big thing for me. So yeah, I think, and I'm not just saying that because look how wise I am. I, that was something I heard Braxton Hunter once say, be an answer finder. And it kind of resonated with me. I'm like, that is actually probably what we should be pushing people to do the most. Is he, also answer told you, he also told you don't use the word spicy. You didn't tell me to use the word spicy, but he's wrong about that. <laughs> I'll, I'll use spicy till the That's day southern I die. Terminology. <laughs> I'll even use the term saucy from time to time. <laughs> he's going to yeah. be like, how does Dan know that? <laughs> Yeah, it might wonder if he watches this. He says he watches the channel, and I, I always doubt it. But then he he makes a well, reference you know. to some of, some of our episodes. He will watch, yeah, and then whatever. But now you're gonna uh, know. Be like, hey, we talked about you. <laughs> Make him watch it. Just get an extra yeah. view out of that. <laughs> uh, no, he just got back from Australia. He uh, he can confirm kangaroos exist. That was what we came back with on Sunday. So. But my, one is a, my wife has held a baby kangaroo. Okay, that's cool. I'm kind of jealous, actually. Um, I did not. I wonder what they taste like, though. <laughs> I feel like it'd be gamey. I feel it'd be really gamey. Just, you can cook that out. A little bit of apple cider vinegar, a little bit of buttermilk. Be all right. God, you really are from Texas. <laughs> now we're gonna flip that to a cooking show. No, all right, cooking with Dan. <laughs> uh, yep, yep, yep. Actually, I would watch that like a like a completely unashamed, brazened cooking show with a, a, a military veteran. That'd just be amazing. Man, uh, YouTube would not have that with all the cancel culture out there right now. I know, but it would still be a great show. <laughs> um, so. Now, one is back on track, sort of cooking with Dan. So 
you so you saw you confronted actual evil you went there you were upset and you were angry like you went to war angry because of your history and your past and you were broken and rejected and then you go to war and you start confronting evil more and more and you come back you find the rfp then you find us and you kind of start getting anchored in your faith it starts reshaping it kind of gives you permission to start going deeper in a new way and now you're more anchored one of the things that uh, uh, you and I have talked about as well, because one of the biggest problems I, I, I have dealt with with people who have broken away from like the culty worlds that they're from is that they sometimes overly dwell on a lot of things that have happened to them. And we've been at, this show has been attempted to be canceled a few times due to my comments on this very issue. But this idea of like absolute victimhood, like at, and, you and I have had conversations about this, but as somebody who's like seen war and has actually been a victim of warfare, I thought you came at it with some interesting thought thoughts and ways that kind of showed that people can actually overcome some of these things. So what are some of your thoughts on this idea of the people who dwell too much on things and the victim culture that we see come up with people who have been hurt? Put it quite simply, be like Jesus. Jesus was a carpenter. Sometimes you got to dig down deep and become a carpenter and get you some wood, get you some nails, build a bridge and get over it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, no, I, yeah, absolutely. But you know, that gets <laughs> no. you in trouble. That gets you in trouble. If you say get over it, no one wants to get over it. Okay. That's the problem. Uh, no, realistic. Um, understand that everything that's happened to us happened to us because it was supposed to. Um, and I'm not trying to be super determinist or anything like that. Everything molds you and shapes you. Every decision you make in regard to that, because we have free will, every decision you make with regard to all that's happening to you shapes and molds you. If God's plan for me was to die. I gave him plenty of opportunity. <laughs> At some point in time, you have to turn around and say, hey, man, all this stuff, you know, look at the story of Joseph and his brothers. You meant it, for, you meant it to me for bad. God meant it for good. Use what gifts and talents and skills you've acquired through all the tribulation and trials that you've gone through. Cause you can't have tribulation without trials or vice versa. Anyways, use those skills, use those abilities, use what you've learned that information to push you to help others. Because ultimately that's, that's what we're here for, right? We're here to help people. We're here to show them the light of Christ. Uh, the gospel doesn't exist in and amongst myself and never outside. Part of that is going out and teaching others, helping others, being, I don't know, the church. <laughs> so I'm not saying get over it. I joke, I'm very dry with my humor. So I joke around a lot about that, but ultimately, Yes, you were a victim. Guess what? That puts you in 
a different style of pedestal to help others that are probably struggling with the same stuff that you're dealing with. Yeah. I like that because essentially your suffering isn't, isn't in vain. It, and if you let it have the opportunity, it can produce endurance. And, you know, as you were talking to remind me of, of Romans five, this is one of my favorite uh, parts of Romans five. Um, in verse three, it says, not only that, but we rejo rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character, character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. And I think, you know, I think if we really, like you said, it puts you up in that pedestal. You've been given this opportunity if you've had suffering in your life um, and it wasn't fun going through, um, you know, all of us have been through hard times, but if you, but if you actually leverage that suffering and allow it to produce character and endurance, then you are equipped to, to bear each other's burdens better in the church. You have more skill set to help others. You have wisdom because you have gained knowledge through experience to help those that are struggling with the same type of things. Um, so I, I just love how you put that, Dan. That's, it's not purposeless. And if you, So one thing that I always tell people is you, you hear the term forgive and forget. I think forgive and forget is probably the stupidest term I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Preach. Forgive. We're all commanded to forgive. That's hard. That's hard enough. But never forget. Learn. Learn from everything. 100%. Just because you, just because you forgive those people that did ill to you or did evil, like straight up, not just, hey, they didn't, they didn't do this for me, but they straight did evil to you. You've got to find a way with the grace of God to forgive those people. But that does not mean you forget it. And that doesn't mean they don't pay for it. All right. That's, there's a very clear distinction on that. Forgiveness doesn't mean you are the judge, jury executioner. You take care of yourself. And the reason we're commanded to forgive, you got to read into that too. Because it will eat you alive from the inside. Well, I mean, a, a few things to all that too. Like, so I, I, people have oftentimes asked me if I would change the way I grew up. Like, well, man, if you could change something, would you change it? Like, would you change things you've done? And I've really thought hard about it. And regularly, my answer still continues to be no. And the reason why is because if those things didn't happen to me, I wouldn't even be who I am. I, I would, I don't even know who that will is like that is a right. totally different person. Uh, those things shaped me and I did, I learned from them and I'm stronger for them. I'm better for them. I can, I can freaking help people now that I never would have been able to help before because I've been through mm -hmm. it because what man meant for evil, God meant for good. God gave me the grace to endure. And he also gave me knowledge that because I leaned into him, I think. And that's what you mean. Like when you're saying supposed to, I don't think you're saying like God, did it by necessity but that the fact that it happened is because god knew and god knew that if you leaned into him you could learn from it and that you could and that he gave that and like that you get were given this burden this cross to bear and you could bear it with some strength and grace and faith with you um, hey, and really what? make an impact with what you just said he gave you that burden and cross to bear guess what else we're supposed to do with that I don't know, look around, maybe see someone with that heavy burden across the bear and help them out. Right. <laughs> Bear each other's burdens. So 
when, when you when you look at it full circle, um, if you just want to remain trying to be careful of how I say this because I'm I'm me and I don't want to get y'all canceled. Um, Let them try. If Will won't get <laughs> canceled, you're not going to, Dan. <laughs> um, if you want to remain a victim, that choice is completely, completely and totally yours. Mm-hmm. I choose not to be per, a perpetual victim. I, I was a victim at one point in time. That happened. I overcame no, by you the have grace to. of God and all that stuff. I overcame and now I can look back and I can help others. And it goes back to you help others by bearing those burdens. And it's not, Hey, I was there once. You don't have to tell people, I know what you mean. I know what you feel because their immediate thought is your immediate thought. You don't know me. <laughs> you don't know anything about me. So, that's not how you help you help people that, hey let me be a blessing to you and you, you don't even have to do it as corny as that sounds <laughs> just <laughs> give them a coke you know ask them if they need a ride just small stuff but well, it's, be it's the being church. The, yeah be in the church so one of the, and one of the things when you were talking about that like because there's a few things one with the forgiveness is like yeah it doesn't Forgiving, like I said, don't forget, you learn, right? And now that might mean that you don't go after somebody, right? You might, there might be a person that you could, but you're like, the person has repented, their life has changed to a certain degree where you're like, you know what, I'm going to choose mercy. And there might be a situation where you're in a situation where the person's not repentant and you need, you need justice to come in, right? But bottom line is you should be willing to forgive one way or the other. And you'll find that it's also a relief for yourself. And this is where we get into, that's why Christ is the example. He said, you know, he take up your cross and follow me because he took up his cross. Okay. He followed the, he followed his father's will and served us to the point of the cross. And it's like God of the universe became flesh and he took the burden. He became the all. You really want to compare cards. He became the ultimate victim of injustice in many ways, right? He was at a fake trial where he, everything was rigged against him. He wasn't going to make it. Pontius Pilate washes his hands of the situation, just goes, what is the truth? He had every reason to be angry, bitter, and lash out against all his oppressors. But I've been reading. I just finished reading a book for my book, actually, but I just finished reading the book uh, by Gorman on the not so new model, of the atonement, like the talk about the new covenant. And one of the things he talks about is uh, throughout the book is living what we call, he calls a cruciform life, which means that our life should take on the form of crucifixion, which is constantly dying to self. And once you start doing that, you will start learning that I'm going to reject my own need, my own not needs, my own desires and wishes, and put and serve someone else so I can bring peace on earth and goodwill actually toward men because that's what Christ did for us. And you that's know what? Hard. And it is hard, but it's like I love really, me some me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> same. That's why we. I mean, we say it all the time. I need some me time, right? I need me time, or I I want this and I want that and. 
We are to live a cruciform life, and that's why Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Why? It's not because he's punished with Christ or something like penal substitution oftentimes teaches and this weird sense of wrath. It's because, no, we serve one another to the point where I am willing to die for you because I ultimately love you the way Christ loved us. And if he, he forgave me, because we all know our evil sins. I mean, you talked about those intrusive thoughts earlier, right? <laughs> when you're just, for some reason, like, I don't know why I had that sudden thought to just ram my car into you, but I, I that <laughs> I, happened. I said that, and immediately after I said it, I was like, I wonder if that's just me. <laughs> they don't have those thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, I'm just, maybe I'm psychotic. Well, um, uh, Jordan Peterson in his book, 12 Rules for Life, he talks actually about how he was sitting in class in college and uh, I think it was college and there was a student in front of him and he said he had a weird sudden like vision and urge to take his pen and stab it into their neck. He's like, I had no, no reason, but that thought came into my mind. And he, ta and he talks about like one of the biggest parts of growth. And I think there are two things when it comes to growth as a person. One is looking down the abyss of the evils done against you. Look at them, confront them, recognize them for what they are, accept them for what they are, and then figure out how to move past them. Whether that means forgiveness, whether that means therapy, whether that means seeking some form of justice or reconciliation. There's a different, there's different th things that can look like. Then you have to look at another abyss, which is the abyss of yourself. Like, what evils have I done? And I know I have committed great evils. Like I have a giant checklist I could go through and I owe many people whom I probably have no way. I, I probably, there's people I owe apologies to, I'm sure that I don't even remember at this point, you know, because we all probably have that. And, but once you start confronting the evils done against you and the evils within yourself, you probably start growing a little bit. And then maybe you could also live a cruciform life for Christ and start living to serve others and realize that you can use those evils done against you to uplift one another. You know what I mean? I do. That was very well put. You brought up, uh, I keep looking over at my bookshelf. You brought up 12 rules for life. I know I have it. I just don't see it over there right now, but I also have a second book as well. <laughs> Beyond order. Yes. The second one's good, but the first one's the best. Yeah, I agree. The uh, I actually tell people regularly that 12 Rules for Life next to the Bible is probably the best book I've ever read. Um, you brought up PSA, and I immediately looked up at the time. I was like, we don't have time for that one. There ain't enough time tonight for that. Pet topic. Plus, I'm purposely trying to stay away from that topic on the channel because I'm working on a book on it, and I feel like if I keep telling all my thoughts on it, then I just have given away the book <laughs> on episodes. Feel, so I'm trying to be I careful. Feel like... Uh, I feel like this last move for you, you've started way too many books. Knock it off, keep it to one, make it good. <laughs> well, that's why that's why I'm doing. I'm just focusing on the one. I'm just focusing on the one. I, 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 I'm I not going to worry about anything else. Just focusing on the one. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm very proud of myself, actually, right now. <laughs> Although I'm still I waiting to get that copy so I can mark it up for you. Leave my book alone. <laughs> red marker waits for no man <laughs> and it does not discriminate it hates all people equally <laughs> uh, but yeah i mean these are just some of the, I, I think those are some really good takeaways on that and i i and i think in your situation it brings in a very unique element uh for someone who's seen death and war 
and you see violence to the highest order and have, have committed violence at the highest order. I mean, in many ways, uh, we don't have to get into all that because you and I, we've all talked in private about it, but that was something you had to even confront like and realize. And I think that's where an area where we can kind of land the plane a little bit, but is learning that forgiveness and reconciliation. So what did, what did that look like for you personally? <clears throat> Understanding that forgiveness and reconciliation doesn't mean that you're going to feel like you just sniffed a bouquet of roses. It's, um, it's not easy, but some of the forgiveness that you mentioned there, it's not forgiveness of others. It's forgiveness for your own atrocities. Um, you can't sit there and just dwell on, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. I'm such a horrible person. I did this. At some point in time, you've got to understand, hey, <laughs> another topic. We have a sin nature. <laughs> you sinned. We're all sinners. So at some point in time, you've got to understand that and you've got to truly repent for that. You know, uh, reconciliation, you can't necessarily find that for some of the things that you've done wrong. If you, <clears throat> to put it in my situation, um, people that you, you know, have crossed in wartime. I'm not about to make a personal trip back over there to locate someone and be like, sorry about your family member. Please forgive me. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but that that's one of those where you've got to really lean into um, the forgiveness. You, you've got to lean into God and, you know, the Holy Spirit and let him actually comfort you. Um, like I said, it doesn't come easy. And if you still feel guilt, that's a normal thing. <laughs> um, I was, rewind a little bit back to what you were talking about, about, you know, sometimes you might need therapy hold the horses that's something that never gets spoke about in churches you don't you don't go to therapy you go to the man of god i think it's very healthy um that if you are radicalizing your life by leaving a radicalized force form of your life you should probably look up some form of therapy just to help you process some of these thoughts uh, therapy is not a bad thing um, and that's going to help you with that forgiveness and the reconciliation as well. Absolutely. And if you don't, if it's not therapy, at least a close friend, find someone you can talk to. Like I never, I've I, legitimately, I've never been to a single day of therapy, probably why I'm so the way that I am, but, um, but the, yeah, you didn't have to tell us that we knew, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, like, the audience is good diagnose will now. Yeah. They're going to be like, Oh, now we know. Um, but, yeah, there are some people who are like that, who are that for me, like my best, my best friend, Andrew, he was that for me for a long time. And then Brian came into the picture and then Brian became best friends. And we, and then when all the stuff that my wife and I went through, Brian was the guy I talked to just, and I just needed somebody to just talk to, 
and hear me out and then push back when I was being a little bit too much. Um, and I needed that. But so if like, if you don't have a therapist or you can't afford a therapist, find a good friend that you can just talk to. And because I'm going to tell you uh, outside of like those tiny little churches of like fundamentalist groups where they want you to talk to the man of God, I'm going to speak for every pastor on the planet right here. Don't go to us for all your counseling. We don't want it. <laughs> there's well put. There's so many times where it's like I you I sat across from a family or something going, this is so messed up, and I have no idea. And I'll even, I didn't even tell them like I think you need to see a professional. And like, well, we really want to talk to you. And I'm like, I'm not a professional. I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> yeah, I'm a the I'm a theologian. I am not a psychologist or a counselor. Like I. I can help you identify some of the things because I, you know, have, I've taken counseling classes, but I'm not going to be the guy who you want to fix your entire family's issues where you've had 20 years of cooked up problems that I'm, I'm not gonna be able to unpack all that. So yeah, anyway, uh, I, yeah, I think you're right. And then like that forgiveness of self and comfort through self by leaning into God a little bit. I mean, there's been, there has definitely been times in my life I've looked and like poured my heart out to God saying, I'm sorry, forgive me. And to give me the strength and the grace to move forward because I know I messed up and I hurt somebody or I, you know, maybe usually, yeah, usually actually no, mostly just hurt somebody. Like, you know, I know I hurt somebody emotionally or I said cruel words and there's nothing I can do to what? fix that. You, yeah, cruel words. That's weird. Um, hey, you, people will be surprised. I'm actually pretty dialed back on the church split. If you know my general personality, the amount of thoughts that come in my mind, I'm like, mm, shouldn't say that. But that came more intrusive thoughts. Uh, James, let's I just feel say like I've done a very good, very good job tonight. I am very impressed yeah. with you, Dan. I am very <laughs> impressed. Uh, you deserve a gold star. <laughs> but it, it is a it is a thing where you do have to kind of go through that, and you have to lean into God a little bit. And by the way, if you have to do that, and you have to uh, conf confront the evil within yourself, and you have to search that forgiveness from yourself, there's that whole idea where we always we always want mercy and forgiveness in our direction when we screw up. But we always want justice and you know malice poured out on those who wrong us. And I just find that hypocrisy always to be kind of kind of funny. So it's like, guys, if someone's wronged you and they're really and they may have wronged you at some point. And now, of course, there's different levels of wrong. Okay. So I'm not mm -hmm. speaking for every single situation. Have to caveat that when you're having these conversations. When you if you are want forgiveness for some of the things that you've done and for mercy in that direction, sometimes it's worth it to, to extend an olive branch to somebody else. Um, and that can be hard. And that's difficult for me because I can be naturally vindictive, I think. So uh, I know, I know everyone's shocked. I'm sure. Well, it was really hard. You, you know, you read the, read the passages about turning the other cheek and everyone's like, Oh, yeah, turn the other cheek. Well, it's a lot easier said than done if you actually do it the proper way. Nobody wants to do that. But going back to what you're saying, <clears throat> with the different levels of hurt, you've, you've got to figure out a way to, at some point in time, relieve yourself of the pressure of what was done to you. You know, 
well, they took my parking spot. And I know I'm being trivial right here. I'm doing that on purpose. Well, they took my parking spot. Are you just going to drive around the parking lot for two hours while they're in the store until they finally come back out just so you can honk at them and let them know they took your spot? Or are you just going to go park and go in the store? At some point in time, you've got to figure out a way to, I don't want to say let it go, but forgive them. And then, you know, goes back to the don't forget when you go in there. Make sure they get the cart with the rickety wheel. I'm just saying. Don't forget. <laughs> it's like, forgive them, but also an eye for an eye, baby. <laughs> turn that other cheek, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I, no, I think, I think there is actually some truth there. Like if you these things happen in front of you and they're occurring to you, you can only – you can't take responsibility for things that are done to you, right? You can't control those things, but you can't control how you respond. And that was one of the big things for me. And I don't know if that was a big thing for you, but a big thing for me was like learning how to like process the abuse was just going, yeah, but I couldn't control that, but I can't control my response. And if I can control my response, that means they can't control me. They can't control this part of me. Yeah. So why would I give them the satisfaction of acting just like them, of lashing out, of of attacking them, trying to ruin their life when they've already tried to ruin mine? What if I? Well, a lot of a lot of what's happened to, you know, us in the past, it's straight up narcissistic tendencies. Mm -hmm. There's nothing you can do to change that. It just, it is what it, it is who they were, <laughs> and as much as I wish I could reach back in time and change that person or change the scenario, uh, going back to what you said, I don't wish that anything would have changed in my upbringing, but then fast forward to the here and now, if they are different today than they were then have that conversation. If you have that conversation, they're the exact same as they were back then. You can forgive them, but their boundaries are completely okay as well. Boundaries are healthy when you're dealing with people who have wronged you and boundaries are there to protect you. Mm -hmm. It's also there to protect them, right? Like, cause like if somebody can't yeah, because you've crossed my boundary, just saying. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess when you, when you, when you <laughs> sorry, you, you derailed me. Um, but like, because well, it's to protect them too from like the temptation of how they might respond, right? So it's like, okay, well, you clearly can't handle this situation because you act this way. So I'm going to put up a boundary here for both of us. One, to protect my mental sanity because I can't handle you. But the other reason is because it's going to help you like be more See, stable. Yeah. I'll disagree with you a little bit there. Oh, okay. We're not so, allowed to disagree with me. It's like the Pope actually. So yeah, I'm going to figure out where you live. He's <laughs> reaching up there. Don't, don't be looking for help now. Um, I disagree with you a little bit. I feel like with a boundary, I don't care what your sign says. I can go <laughs> buy that. At, sign. It, it doesn't. I can it doesn't. buy one from Amazon that says Mr. Even More Right Than Will Hess. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> um, with boundaries, 
though I feel like that could be one of the purposes that you mentioned, that is not why you create them. You, at no point in time do you ever create a boundary as a help to another person. You create a boundary for help for yourself. Oh, I'd Does agree that make with sense? that. Yeah, I'd agree that that's your primary reason. But a lot of people are like, I, I hear people be like, oh, but that's just, I feel like I'm being so mean to them. And like, because they're still so guilted by their relationship that they were in and they're letting them control them. And so I'm like, yeah, but it's for you, for a healthy reason. And it's helping you. them. You, but you're also, right on that. But, but it will help them too. <laughs> but you don't set it up to help them. <laughs> no, right. Yeah, exactly. It just help. It, it's a good way for me to frame it to help people who are more empathetic. Where I'm like, look, man, like, and because like, the one I, video that you have up where someone's like, I disagree with you. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Uh, we've disagreed on plenty of things, but good friends disagree. And those are the ones that you want to sit down and have a drink with and just talk about stuff and get new perspectives and just wrestle Last with time things. we did that, we talked for six hours. <laughs> that is true. That was a great day. Uh, but I love that. Like that's that's and those are the kind of friends that you need to find, by the way. Everyone needs to find friends that they can have long conversations with where they can be all over the map, disagree in a safe space to disagree. I hate using the term safe space because I guess it's been so like hijacked nowadays, but in a place where you're not gonna have to worry about a guy punching you in the teeth, um, at least for disagreement. I don't know. Dan might punch me in the face, but I'm sure it's for other reasons. <laughs> Nah, I'm too old for that now. Yeah, that's right. You're you've been blown I up. I had a MySpace, remember? And I've been blown up. It's like the the ultimate trump card. Well, I think too. You know, your point, Dan, about talking to people that you know that have wronged you and see if they've changed. Mm -hmm. you know, but I think if you if you can show that you you endurance has been produced by the suffering that you've gone through, that person hasn't changed. That you didn't get in the satisfaction of ruining your life you now are stronger because of it. And you've, you've used that, you know, to do good for Christ in the world. And if they have changed, you are helping them a little bit by allowing them to forgive themselves. Like you said, you were relying on Christ for that forgiveness because, you know, some of the things that you've done is overwhelming. Um, but that person that is truly repentant and they can see that, you know, you have even turned the wrong that they've done to you into something strengthening and strengthening for yourself and others. I think I also can help them, you know, forgive themselves and, and help them on the long, on the road to repentance. So either way, using suffering for endurance is a good thing for you and for the people that have wronged you. Well, I think that's yeah, why God shines a little bit of Christ on them, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It does. Well, I think that's why we live in a world where God has evil possible, right? Where he po evil is possible in this world. And one of it's to, because, greater virtue comes uh, with the backdrop of evil. Like if I die for somebody at, in war, like I defend a brother in arms, right? I, that level of virtue could not happen if it was not for the backdrop of evil, where we get to reflect the goodness of God even further for the love of our brother or uh, the soul building, right? My character is built stronger and i can become a better individual because evil is possible not because the god's not decreeing this evil god's not commanding this evil it is simply possible in this world and we can actually believe it or not you can use good to destroy evil and it is a powerful thing to do and like i've had those conversations when you talked about like sit down with that person that wronged you and talk to them and see if they've changed 
I've had that conversation. Brian knows I, he, he was there alongside me with when I was having those, some of those conversations, trying to like just make the situation right. And certain people haven't changed one bit and they never will. And I realized that. And then I just had to figure out how I was going to handle it from there. And other people, they have changed and therefore they, it is worth giving them a second chance. I have family members that are like that where it's like, well, then I should have a relationship with you because you have changed. And because you've changed and you recognize those issues, we can move forward. My brother and I, there was right before he moved out, him and I got to a big old fist fight. We were like in our late teens, big old fist fight, put a hole in the wall, the whole nine yards. <laughs> and uh, we talk about it. I think on our, uh, my, I was on his podcast and we, t- we had a whole conversation. It was a good time. But um, we talked about that where certain people like from our past, like will lash out. Like I had a person like go slide in my DMS when I was like 29 years old, like you did that to him. You should see the look on his face. You're a monster. I'm like, that was 10 years ago. And I was like a kid. Like, are you, we're really so pathetic where we can't give people the opportunity to try to change over the course of a decade or more. Like, I don't know. And so we, we also have to consider the fact that people do change what, as much as people say, people never change. People do change and giving people the room to do that. And because you needed the room to do that. And so, I don't know. I just, these are just some, these are things that I think about regularly where there's a fine line between not being foolish enough to where you forgive and like you said, forget that's, that's just foolish and naive. But then there's also the other side of a mature outlook, which is, Hey, we could actually, uh, Brian, the church you go to right now, uh, Pastor Cody there, he talks about this a lot, which is this, uh, we have a very image. A lot of us have an immature look at people. We either think of them as all good or all bad when really we all have a little bit of all of it. And there are different seasons of our life. We might have more bad than good. And some of different season we might have more good than bad. Yeah. Right. So those are just some of the things where, I think we it help it can having those mentalities can help us move forward through our struggles and our wrongs and our hurts that have happened to us. If that makes sense, definitely you got to be a carpenter like Jesus and build a bridge and get over it. <laughs> <laughs> you realize that the "get over it" phrase was literally what almost got me canceled, right? Like, <laughs> I know. Okay, round well, I keep two. Bringing baby. It up to you. All right, that's, there we go. That's fine. I'll deal with the hate in the comments. Dan, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Anything else you want to share? Things you've learned? Wisdom you want to impart? <laughs> Don't eat yellow snow. Um, <laughs> what would we do without you? <laughs> Bourbon is awesome. Um, no, I guess one one of the major things is understand that each and every action that you take even if you feel like nobody's watching is a testimony for who you are um your character everything about you if we truly want to call ourselves christians which is little christ we should honestly strive to push people to christ and if you detract from that then you need to take a step back and figure that out for yourself and see what you need to correct to get back to a point where you're pushing people to Christ. 
Absolutely. Now, I will ask you our normal question we ask most of our guests when they come on, which is, due to all of this and the church being so split on so many issues, how do you think that your experiences and your thoughts here can help unite a divided body, which I think most of is self-explanatory from this episode, but I feel like I should still ask it for the sake of tradition. Be a carpenter. Uh, <laughs> no, um, understand that the problem of evil is there. Um, it's response. Everything in life is response. It's how you respond to it. Um, Keep Christ as the center. And for those who Christ isn't the center, let's figure out a way that we live our our lives in a fashion that shows that you can go through all this bad stuff and still have a strong enough faith that other people would be like, how do I get that? Um, Dan, I really appreciate you sharing that. And I think it's very true. How we respond is extremely important. Uh, and considering those things, um, I actually really like this mainly because it's a very raw interview. It's a very casual conversation. Sometimes I know Brian and I, we like to get into the weeds and sometimes we like to just talk to somebody who has real world experience, because again, if our theology does not apply to reality, then our theology means nothing. And our philosophy has no actual practical application. And I appreciate these sorts of conversations because this shows that all the things that we talk about can be applied practically and actually change your life. And I appreciate you being honest with us. I appreciate you just taking the time to talk with us and uh, having coming on here and telling your story a little bit, which I know is not always easy because it kind of puts one out there a little bit. But we do appreciate you doing that. So uh, if if you guys haven't already, don't forget to like and subscribe to The Church Split. Brian, do you have anything else to say? No, I just want to thank Dan for the friendship. Thanks for coming on, um, being raw and real with us. And, you know, I really hope, you know, some of the things that you've gone through will uh, and people being able to listen to it and how you overcame that. And, you know, with asking questions and, and finding good friendships, uh, they will hopefully do the same. So thanks. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Right back. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, so with that said, we will see you next time on The Church Split. So take care and God bless. Be a carpenter. And guys, if you want to avoid seeing obnoxious ads like this, we got to be strong. We got to be healthy. When you want to feel nice and strong and satisfied, you got to check out Good Ranchers. Right now, go to GoodRanchers.com. Use promo code Knowles. Or that. We also want to thank Free Life Soap, because I don't know about y'all, yes. but I got a new shipment of soap yes, in. Yes, I did. Here yes, sir. And it was great. Or this. Hi, guys. My name is Will, and I'm here to tell you why you should be a student at Trinity College of the Bible and Theological Seminary. Or that. To get to that momentarily first, I want to talk to you about Daily Wire's most trusted privacy partner and premier sponsor of this show, ExpressVPN. Are you aware that your browsing data is constantly being tracked and monitored? Please support us on Patreon. We do not want to annoy you filthy heretics with any sort of ads on this show. So when you're a Patreon subscriber, you also get access to our apologetics classes and other video content a whole month. You can support us on Patreon for as low as $1 a month. Keep your mouth shut just while I do the intro. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Three, two. Hi, guys. Welcome to the church split. You guys I know do what I want. Ah! <laughs> I knew it. 
I knew it. I knew it. Don't tell Daniel to do. 